If the fetus isn't alive, why do you need to do an abortion? Once you have a baby growing inside of you, you've already reproduced. So the choice that you had to whether or not you want to make a baby is no longer there. You've made one. Viability changes with technology. So that's one reason to think that it's not a good measure of whether you're a person. And so the words baby, fetus, and embryo simply tell us how old an entity is, not what an entity is. They're donating money to an organization that they are trying to argue needs federal funding. Planned Parenthood does not need your tax dollars. Human rights aren't grounded in age, they're grounded in being human. It is a baby. It looks like a baby. It moves like a baby. It has its own DNA. It feels pain. It recoils. That is a baby. Yes, there is a fact at a point when a child can survive outside of the womb. But why does that matter? Who cares? There's no denying the difficulty in these circumstances. The question is, what ought we do when circumstances are hard? Josh Humphrey here with another episode of the Fight for Life podcast, equipping you with the truth about abortion and the resources to defend life. I've got a great episode for you that I did a while back, and I kind of have to apologize, obviously. It took me a long time to get this one out. Um, I interviewed Laura from And Then There Were None, which is a fantastic ministry that is reaching out to workers in the abortion industry. So um, I probably did this interview like six months ago, and just for a number of reasons, most of them just bad excuses and procrastination, it took me until now to get it edited and posted. So I apologize for that. I apologize immensely if you're listening, Laura. Um, but Anyways, here's the interview. All right, Laura, welcome. Thank you. So, Laura, you're with And Then There Were None. Um, why don't you go ahead and um, I, I could try and give my explanation of what you guys do, but it'd probably be better coming from you. Why don't you tell us a little about, um, about yourself and about And Then There Were None and kind of what you do there? Sure, absolutely. So I am a client and marketing manager for And Then There Were None. I'm a wife, I'm a mom, and uh, I'm blessed to to have this job working in this ministry. I live out on the East Coast in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. But And then there were none is kind of all over the country. We're a national organization. We're actually looking to go international. We're working on that, and that's really exciting. We were started about six years ago, seven years ago, by Abby Johnson. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with Abby because she just recently had a movie come out called Unplanned about her life. And Abby was the youngest Planned Parenthood clinic director in the history of Planned Parenthood at the time. And she ran a, a clinic, uh, Planned Parenthood clinic in Texas, and honestly had a conversion and change of heart when she witnessed a ultrasound guided abortion that was performed on a 13 week old baby. And she quit her job at Planned Parenthood, and uh, I don't want to give away too many spoilers from the movie, but one, one of the things that happened when Abby quit is that she thought to herself, surely there must be something for people like me who worked in the abortion industry who want to leave. And being new to the pro-life movement, she kind of looked around and, and thought, you know, someone should do that then if there isn't something for people like me. Someone should create an organization or a ministry for people like me. And um, the way Abby tells it is that she kind of was telling God, like, hey, God, you know, someone should do that. And 
God kind of kept saying, yeah, Abby, go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) And so so that's how, and then there were none got started. Um, When she, when she quit, she wrote a book. It was the book that um, became the movie. And we, she discovered that people who worked in the abortion industry, other Planned Parenthood workers, people who worked in other abortion clinics were reading her book and then contacting her and saying, um, I, I have the same story as you do. Can, can you help me? And so Abby, uh, Abby started helping them. And, you know, almost seven years later, we now have, and then there were none, which is this ministry that exists to help abortion clinic workers leave their jobs in the abortion industry and find hope, find healing. And we help them practically as well, financially, legally, uh, for looking for jobs. Um, In that time, we have helped 525 of these abortion clinic workers leave that industry and and find uh, new work and, and really a new lease on life. Uh, seven of those are were full-time abortion doctors. Wow. Uh, you know, it's funny. Abby thought that it would be a success if we had 10 people quit a year. When, when she first started and then there were none, she thought that would be like awesome. And, you know, here we are less than a decade later and we're at over 500. I mean, that's pretty awesome. That is. Now, real quick, you said, you know, you talked about people who wanting help. For those of us who have never worked in this industry, it, it kind of seems weird on the outside. Like you, I, maybe we don't have a good picture of like, why do you need help leaving? So it, it sounds like I'm, I'm giving you a line or a cliche when I say that there really is no other form of, of work, like working in, in the abortion industry. It's really not comparable to anything. Um, working inside an abortion clinic is draining emotionally, spiritually, and physically. In order to do the work day in and day out inside of an abortion facility, you have to slowly harden yourself to humanity, quite honestly, because the only thing that allows you to do what you're doing is if you're dehumanizing the babies who are losing their lives in the clinics and to some extent, the women who are having abortions. And when you spend your time dehumanizing people and when you spend so much of your day in this environment where you have to put up these walls and you you have to guard yourself from the work you're doing, Um, it changes you. And no matter how long our our workers have worked, and we've had people quit after a month, we've had people quit after decades, but they all experience that sort of hardening of the self and the hardening of their own hearts while they work there. And they see that it begins to creep out into their family life, into their friendships. So it's not uncommon for someone who works in an abortion clinic to either completely divorce their work from their family and social life, which creates a double life and leading a double life is, is exhausting and unhealthy or the abortion clinic becomes the focal point of life. That's where your social life is. It's where your friends are. It's where you find your 
any kind of interpersonal fulfillment, it's all centered in the abortion facility because it's very hard for people outside of that environment to understand what it's like to work there. Um, And so when our workers leave, they're not only leaving a place of employment, it's really almost like leaving a lifestyle. Mm, Okay. Okay. I see that. And, you know, that's why we offer so many facets of assistance. We offer financial and practical assistance because, right, you can't heal if you don't know how to keep the lights on and if you don't know if you're going to be able to put food on the table. So we, of course, offer offer financial, practical help. That comes in the form of limited financial assistance and resume writing help, job coaching, and employment search assistance. But once we've tackled the practical, then we really need to address the emotional and the spiritual. And honestly, that's sort of the the sweet spot of our ministry. Um, Giving our quitters, right? We call people who, who come to, and then there were none, we call them our quitters. Giving them opportunities for healing, whether that's utilizing our in-house licensed therapists who are at their disposal free of charge, um, whether it is attending our healing retreats. We offer healing retreats, three different phases of retreat uh, every year. And whether that's constantly interacting with their client managers who are mentoring and guiding them along this this sort of path and, and transformation really um, after they leave. And, and so all of those things are important, the, the emotional, the practical, the spiritual, and lastly, the legal. We offer legal assistance, again, pro bono, free of charge, through uh, the Thomas More Society. For any of our clients who leave the clinic and feel like they need, whether it's, it's help navigating circumstances uh, upon their departure, whether it's not knowing if they saw or participated in or witnessed something that was not above board uh, in the clinic, um, or whether it's it's navigating kind of some of the uh, the difficulties they face upon leaving that are legal in nature, sometimes in the way the clinics interact with them after they quit. So we offer the, the legal assistance as well. Without giving too much detail of any one person, because um, I'm trying to respect everybody's privacy, right? But um, what, what kind of, can you dive into that last part a little bit? Like what, what, um, legal issues, um, might someone face in leaving in their interaction with the clinics? Sure. Absolutely. Um, and I, I can, confidentiality as, as you mentioned is very important to us. Um, we protect our clients confidentiality. However, we do have some clients whose stories have become public. So I can, I can, share those. And then I can kind of give you anecdotally the, uh, the rest. Sure. Um, so you may have seen in the news recently, a woman named Myra Rodriguez. She just won a $3 million lawsuit against Planned Parenthood. Her lawsuit lasted two years. She was a director out in Arizona of, uh, several clinics and she sued Planned Parenthood for actually firing her. (laughs) Um, Sometimes that happens. And that's how our clients come to us too. Uh, Myra is one of our clients. While she was working as clinic director, she witnessed illegal practices in the clinic. And she witnessed several very concerning things regarding one of the abortion doctors. And so she 
did what she was supposed to, which was report these things. But she faced backlash because of that. And Planned Parenthood fired her. Uh, part of the lawsuit alleges that she that uh, narcotics were placed in her desk and then she was accused of mishandling them as an excuse to fire her. All this came up in court. What it boiled down to was that Planned Parenthood really sought retribution against her for uh, bringing to light things that were happening in the clinic that were not okay. And she was fired. And so um, when she won the lawsuit, that was a big hit to Planned Parenthood uh, because it basically the lawsuit said, you know, hey, you fired her for reasons you're not allowed to fire people for. Like, none of this was above board, guys. Um, you, you yeah, does that fall under whistleblower protection then at that point? That's what she's being called right now is she's being called a whistleblower. Um, and we've had several clients who have, have sort of become whistleblowers in their own right. Um, that's that's what, just one example. Uh, we've had clients who have come to us because they don't get their final paychecks. And there's no good reason why they haven't gotten their final paycheck. They just haven't gotten it because unfortunately that's not uncommon for how some of these clinics operate after someone quits. Uh, so in that case, you know, our lawyers help them get that ironed out in, in other cases. And you can actually kind of see these for yourself. If you go to checkmyclinic.org, checkmyclinic.org has inspection reports listed from all of the clinics who receive inspections in the United States. Some states don't require regulation or inspection of abortion clinics. That's its own problem. However, uh, most of the states do. And if you go to checkmyclinic.org, you'll see all of the violations we've been able to gather listed. Now, when we have workers leave, they've witnessed these violations firsthand. In some cases, they have been the ones who have done the violating. Um, when they come to us, they want to know if, if they could get in trouble or if they have in fact done something wrong. Some of our clients come to us not, uh, not understanding and not knowing that if they have not been certified or trained or received the proper certification levels for things like ultrasound, administering anesthesia, uh, handing out medications, all of these things you need proper licensing or proper certification to do. In more than a few abortion clinics, untrained staff are doing those things. And so when they come to us and say, oh yeah, well, you know, I was doing this ultrasound or when I ran the, ran the line for anesthesia or when I was giving them their medication by just signing the prescription pad off that had already been pre-signed by the doctor. Can't do oh, that. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right? I'm, so they I'm, I'm a nurse. So like <laughs> you're, I'm cringing when you're saying all of these things of like someone unlicensed doing it, not that you can't be trained, but just like the legal ramifications of doing these things without. Right. Oh gosh. It's, it's a little scary, especially when you look at, you know, a check my clinic and see that in that same facility, they were giving overdoses of fentanyl to patients oh, or gosh. the medications had been expired or they're running saline bags that were two years old. You know, it's, it. some of this stuff is, is mind blowing. Um, but if you don't know any better, if, if you're hired on the spot, which happens a lot because you need a job and you have not completed college or you're just out of high school or you had to drop out because you have kids that you're taking care of. This all sounds great. 
look at me, I'm, I'm this med tech now, even though my only training, and I'm making the little quotation fingers mm-hmm. training, was sitting through a two hour long video gotcha. made by Planned Parenthood, right? Yeah. So our, our legal assistance um, and consultation is, is very important for a lot of our clients. So, and I don't, I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but it sounds like not only are the, um, it, it's predatory, not in, not only just on the client side, but also in the hiring side, because they're picking people who are um, already kind of at a disadvantage and then putting them in a place where they're uh, potentially in legal trouble if they leave and, and get reported. I don't think that's dramatic. In fact, a lot of our our clients have said similar things. Uh, We had one liken her her experience with her abortion clinic to being in an abusive relationship. Um, We've had other clients say it's like being in a cult where you're desensitized slowly and end up with this new mindset you you didn't even want to begin with. We've had others say it's very similar to human trafficking and the grooming that happens uh, in those in trafficking relationships. So, no, you're you're kind of right on the money there. That's not overly dramatic. It's honestly how it works. Let me give you um, kind of a very a very typical example. We see this play sure, out sure. Uh, pretty often. Um, using our our internal metrics and and you know anecdotes from over 500 abortion workers. This is a very typical scenario. Single mom has a couple kids. She does not have uh, a degree, maybe higher than a bachelor's. uh, If she has that needs a job, needs to, you know, pay the bills, put the food on the table and get the kids school supplies. She sees that Planned Parenthood, Whole Woman's Health, you know, whatever clinic in, in her area is hiring. She goes in for the interview, doesn't have experience uh, in anything medical, they need a receptionist. She says, I can do that. I can push paper. And if I'm, if I'm the receptionist, I'm not really doing anything with the abortions. I'm just the receptionist. She's hired on the spot, starts work that week. And for a while she is the receptionist. And that allows her to kind of separate herself from the rest of the work in the clinic and tell herself, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not really a part of that. I'm just smiling at these scared girls as they walk in. I like being able to help women. I like being able to support women. These women need support when they come in for their abortions. And I am able to be a friendly face to them until someone needs help in the back. And it's, Oh, Hey, uh, I know we didn't really hire you to do this, but can you come and sit with these women in the recovery room? Okay. She can't say no. She needs this job. And in fact, we've had clients who have tried to say no and they're told, well, then you don't need to work here anymore. So they say, okay, I'll go do it. So now she's in the recovery room with the women there. One step closer to what goes on in the back. And the next is, you know what, we need another counselor and counselor is a very loose term, meaning we need someone to talk to these girls about why they need to have their abortion. And so can you come and do that? Oh, well, I'm 
I wasn't really trained. No, you'll be fine. Just explain to them what we do and, and why we do it and that they need it. Here's a script you can follow. Here are your bullet points. So now our receptionist, who was only going to be a receptionist, has been helping in recovery. And now she's counseling people to have abortion. And then what happens more often than not is, hey, we need somebody in the back room in POC. And if you've seen Unplanned, you know that POC stands for Products of Conception. It's the room where the, I don't know how to say it delicately for your podcast. No, it's fine. Just say what it is. Okay. Um, It's the room where the babies have to be pieced back together like the most horrible, gruesome puzzle because it needs to be determined whether or not everything was removed during the abortion procedure. So the baby has to be identified as being complete. The placenta has to be there. Everything has to be identified so the they know that nothing was left behind in the woman. And there's a POC, or some clinics call it something else. Most of them call it POC uh, in, in every clinic. And it is the job that many of our workers have nightmares from where they develop PTSD and it is the job that no one wants to do. And so it is not uncommon for our workers who are hired to do something else completely end up there because the burnout from working in that particular part of the clinic is so high. And so now you've got this woman who was hired, right? Just to be the receptionist. And that's how she justified it to herself. And she needs this job, has now participated in all of these different aspects of being in the clinic. She's still not a medical person. She's still not trained or certified. Maybe she's gone through their in-house training, which means nothing once you leave. And now she's got PTSD. Now she's going home and drinking every night because she tries to forget what she was doing during the day. Now she's waking up with nightmares. In some of our clinics, they were doing drugs in the back room just to get them through what they had to do. Jeez. So, you know, that kind of comes back to why do we offer all of the things we offer? Well, gosh, because by the time some of our clients contact us, they are, they have suicidal ideation. They're depressed. They're anxious. They, they have, you know, flashbacks and nightmares. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. And then, like you say, they, because they haven't been certified or anything else like that, then they, they can't even take like any kind of um, medical technician job in the, whatever you want to call the the rest of medical, actual medical field um, because they're not certified. Right. Which, you know, as a client manager, um, I hate having those conversations <laughs> because, you know, all of us want to be proud of, of what we're doing. And, and a lot of our, our workers will admit, they'll say, no, you know, I was proud. I got to put on my scrubs every day and, and I was really good at, you know, the ultrasounds or I was, I was the best stick in the clinic. I could get it first time, every time. Mm -hmm. Right. But but they're not a phlebotomist. They're not any form of, of nurse or tech or anything. And so when, when we have that conversation about, well, okay, well, what kind of job do you think you want to look for? What do you want to go into? And they say, well, I'd really like to stay in something medical. Man, I hate being the one who says, well, (laughs) okay, 
but you're actually not qualified to do anything medical yet. You know, that that's a really big blow to a person who is already feeling not the greatest. Right. To think, oh, great. Well, what am I actually qualified to do? And so, it, you know, it's a, it's a disservice on, on so many different levels that uh, that's so, so typical in, in the clinics. Yeah. And then, and so you mentioned, and I think this is kind of the, um, you know, from things I've read and, and seen and listened to, that's kind of the typical um, person that I picture you guys um, helping out. But you mentioned earlier doctors as well. Um how often and, and what's kind of the case for, for doctors leaving that, that surprises me. It's, it's harder for doctors to leave. Um, I would imagine. So we've, you know, we've had this conversation with, with several former abortion doctors because we like to try to brainstorm. How can we, how can we better help make it easier? Right. And honestly, one of the biggest barriers for the doctors is the fact that some of them have, have contracts and in order for them to leave, they would have to either buy out their contract and they can't afford it, or they would have to break their contract and they can't afford that either. And so it becomes a really difficult situation um, for some doctors. And, and for some of them, it's a heart issue. They've been in it for so long that the, those, those calluses, you know, are, are so thick that in order to kind of, to, to penetrate that, it would really shake up literally their whole worldview. Um, you know, there's a doctor in Texas who is an OBGYN and he does reversals for tubal ligations to help women have babies. And yet he moonlights as, as an abortion doctor. You know, there's such a divide, um, a, a cognitive dissonance, a, a double life, whatever you want to call it, that to overcome that really requires a ton of prayer, I think, on our part, um, but also a, a humbleness to admit that, gosh, I was wrong about everything. Uh, and that's not an easy thing to admit. Um, it's not impossible but the, the stakes in some cases are a lot higher. Um, they have a lot more, they feel like they lose in leaving. Um, not the least of which is a, is a standard of life that requires quite a bit of money. And we at least see this in Planned Parenthood over and over again. And we see it with the other clinics like Whole Women's Health and uh, Trust Women. It, it's, it's a moneymaker. It, it comes down to money. And that's disgusting, but it does. Yeah. And, and I would imagine, um, just having worked in that field, the not, not in abortion, but, but in healthcare. And, um, there was a time where I worked kind of in perioperative services. And so the, you know, working with OBGYNs, I would imagine that's a harder disconnect for them as well, because, um, like you said, the, the worker who comes in as the receptionist and then kind of gets progressively put deeper and deeper into it, um, you know, she she was never prior to that exposed to the 
I don't want to say gory parts, but, but I mean, well, for it, it is for the abortion part. Right. But, um, even, even just in, in surgery, right. So, um, a woman has a miscarriage an OBGYN, which, you know, has to go in and, um, still has to, to remove that baby. Right. It's, Mm -hmm. it's died of natural causes. That's not, it's tragic, but nobody did anything malicious here. Um, they they still see that part and they're still like in the medical field in general you have a certain amount of that desensitization that you have to be able to disconnect a little bit in order to do your job well and help your patient in the moment and then you can after that go back and and if you you know have time in it and and work in that kind of facility um kind of minister on the emotional side um even as a nurse i i have to there are times when it's like i i can't hold your hand here because i need to do things um, to, to save your life. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for an OBGYN, I imagine there's a certain amount of that, you know, like seeing the fetus and things like that when, when they're doing nothing wrong, um, and then they're legitimately providing care that, that, um, if you are performing an abortion, especially an earlier one, um, it, it might be difficult to, to, if you didn't come from originally that point that like, this is wrong. This one is right. If you, if you have to come to that decision later after you've already been in that uh, environment, I would imagine that's a harder transition to make mentally. Sure. It, there's a lot of, a lot of mental gymnastics, right. In, involved in it. And, um, you know, Abby, Abby puts it perfectly. She said, you know, human beings are wonderful, but boy, we tell ourselves all kinds of things. And we lie to ourselves about ourselves all the time. And we can justify anything if we try hard enough. And, and that's kind of, kind of what we see, you know, that we really do as, as humans, gosh, we try to justify everything. Uh, and working as an OBGYN, I, I think, I mean, that's what happens, right? More mental gymnastics. And what really muddies the waters, quite honestly, I think in those cases is the idea that, well, we're going to do therapeutic terminations, right? That's what they call them. Baby has a diagnosis. The baby might not live uh, past birth. And so we're going to compassionately terminate the pregnancy. That's actually a term that people use now. Um you know what? My my kind of side gig is I'm a bereavement doula. I help families who are experiencing mm. loss or who anticipate their baby not living long after birth. And um, and it's it's beautiful to see a family love a baby for as long as they have that baby with them. There's nothing compassionate about abortion. Uh, and that's a word that's thrown around to try to tug at our heartstrings and make us feel guilty for judging, right? The, right. the families who, who choose to go that way. Yeah. I've had yeah. these conversations where people say, well, you know, it, it is the merciful thing to do. Right. To right. even people who will acknowledge like, yes, it is killing that baby, but it, it is the merciful thing to do so that they don't suffer, which just right. makes me so frustrated because there's no, you don't know. You don't know for sure mm-hmm. what will or won't happen. And 
And also, you know, the suffering card, it, it gets pulled a lot, but the reality also is there is palliative care. Right. And there are perinatal hospice programs that will make baby comfortable and that what parents in that situation deserve to be told is that it should never, ever even be presented to a mother or a father that the compassionate choice they have is to end the life of one of their children, right? As, as a woman, my entire being, the way I am created is to protect and nurture life. It is contrary to everything I am as a mother to choose to end the life of a child. Using nice words like compassion and mercy only hurts that woman. Because intrinsically, we still we still know, right? If that wasn't the case, we wouldn't have what we now know is is post-abortive um, stress and post-abortive uh, depression and post-abortive trauma. It, anytime we, we go against our nature, we create more problems for ourselves and they're never good. Well, we've talked a fair amount about um, the services you guys provide when someone comes to you. Now, the way that you guys are set up, are you just like, we're here, come to us? Or do you do y'all ever seek out these workers? We like to be very creative. Uh, we have what we call opportunities to in reach instead of outreach. It's in reach. Okay. So we, uh, we keep probably the most comprehensive list of abortion clinics in the country. <laughs> uh, we're constantly updating it. Um, and we need to keep updating it actually because We've actually closed uh, 21 abortion clinics by draining all their workers. That's awesome. No, I know it's great. We kind of get really excited when that happens. <laughs> but uh, but what we do is, is several times a year, we do mailings where we send postcards into the clinics and they have our information on them. And we try to make them kind of visually appealing, a little bit uh, catchy in, in how they're laid out and what they say, because we want to get their attention before they get thrown out. Um, and, uh, and just use that as an opportunity to kind of put our website and our hotline number out there. And we do those a few times a year. We also do take opportunities to honestly just show love to those who work in the clinic. Sometimes we send flowers. Uh, if something happens in a community uh, that's that's tragic or that affects the whole community, we we will send a handwritten card or a letter or flowers into the clinic and let them know we're praying for them um, and that we care. We have volunteers who write letters. They hand write letters and, and send them into the clinics, inviting those who work there to check us out and to quit, to let them know we're here for them and we care about them. Um, we also work with very closely with Sidewalk Advocates for Life. Uh, we provide signs they they can make and, and hold outside of the clinics that have our information. We have a specific training for sidewalk advocates that that teaches them how to reach out to abortion clinic workers in particular and what to do if if they start to form a relationship with one. Um, all of these all of these different things put our information in front of those who work in the clinic. 
Uh, and that's honestly what we, we try to do because we know that for those who work there, there will come a time, and this is what we pray for. We pray for this moment when there's a light bulb, where there's a, a, a moment for the Holy Spirit to get to get in there and, and, and pull on their hearts, when they realize that the unborn are human and that that is a little person whose life is ending. When those moments happen, we want them to remember that we're here for them. And so any opportunity we can take to, to put our abortionworker.com right, um, website in, in front of them or, or our hotline number, we take it. We, we, have, we had a donor actually give us money to buy out a billboard outside of an abortion facility. And the billboard faced the clinic. So we know every day, for as long as that billboard was up there, everyone inside of that building abortionworker.com every day. Um, so yeah, we, we try to be creative. Uh, there have been years past where we've sent candy into the clinics for, uh, Halloween with, you know, funny little notes about trick or treating and we're not tricky. Go to abortionworker.com. Um, <laughs> you know, like the cheesier, the better sometimes just because yeah. we want that. We want it to stick. Right, uh, right, we, have, right. we, we have drop cards. We encourage people who are either on the sidewalks or who are uh, in a community that has uh, an abortion clinic in there to, to take the drop cards and to use them prudently. Um, you know, we don't encourage peppering people's places of, of work or whatever with the cards. Um, but just another way for those who work in the abortion clinic to hopefully encounter us. Um, I do have a funny story about the drop cards though. They're, they're the size of little business cards and they're bright pink and they have our website on them and, and a little bit about what we offer on the back. And one of our quitters who is uh, public with her story. So I can, I can tell you this, her name is Annette. She was a clinic director on the East coast and she was unhappy in her job and no one, no one really knew that and was kind of on the fence, not uncommon for, for those in the clinic to start kind of becoming unhappy, feeling on the fence about it, but not really feeling like they can quit. And, uh, we had sidewalk advocates who were, had a presence outside of her clinic. And she said one day she went out and someone had taken our drop cards and they put them all over her car, like all over her car. <laughs> and um, now again, we don't, we don't advocate for doing this, um, but God can use anything. Right. And so yeah, yeah. he, uh, he took this well-intentioned, but slightly misguided uh, action and, and really used it for Annette's advantage because she got so mad. She took all the cards off and went to throw them out. And then for some reason, she says, for some reason, I put one in my pocket. And then it was about two weeks later and Annette was done. She, she had that moment where she realized she could not do this anymore. And she remembered she had put that card in her pocket. So she went back and she, she found the pants that she had put it in and they had been through the wash. So the card had been washed out. And she couldn't see our website, but she remembered enough to Google. 
So she said she sat on her computer with this washed out card trying to Google us. And she found us and called and she quit that day. (laughs) So that's cool. It's a fun story. So I I think we kind of, we kind of got heavy there in the middle, but but this is, that's a great story to kind of go off of. And let's kind of revisit like some of the successes you've guys had. How many, so tell me again, how many um, clinics did you say um, have closed for lack of workers? 21. 21. And counting. And counting. Okay. Yeah. Um, And you said 525 workers in the past, what, seven-ish years? Yep. So it's like 70, 75 workers per year average. Right. We've seen a kind of an uptick in things um, since, since the movie came out, uh, since my parenthood started to have, I think what they're going to consider their very, very bad year. Um, (laughs) Yeah which we're, you know, a little bit gleeful about. Yeah. And, uh, and so it, those numbers are only going to keep going up and we couldn't be happier about that. Now, what, um, when you talk about directors, what, what is it, I mean, and, and you may not know, and that's okay if you don't, but like, what, how difficult of a process is it for them to replace a director or do they just like push the, the next highest person in that clinic in line up into that position? It really depends on the clinic um, itself, whether it's like Whole Woman's Health will do things a little differently than Trust Women Foundation, than Planned Parenthood. Um, They usually all tend to promote from within. Uh, Everything is in-house. You know, you keep it in the family um, like a really twisted mafia. Um, But Planned Parenthood in particular is, is very good at covering for themselves. They... They have backup plans for backup plans. And if they don't, they pretend they do. Uh, and so the director quits. It really, it'll throw the clinic atmosphere off. Um, they will never tell you how much it shakes everyone up on the inside. Uh, you'll honestly never even hear, you know, why someone leaves. Uh, at least the honest truth about why someone left. There's all kinds of stuff about out there still about why Abby really left, um, because that's how they operate. Uh, it's all smoke and mirrors, and they they protect themselves, and they particularly protect those who are higher up mm-hmm. in the organization because those are the ones who make the money. Yeah. Have you guys reached out to um, who's the recent head of of Planned Parenthood that was let go or whatever? Dr. Wen. Dr. Wen, uh, yeah, that was it. Yes, Leanna Wen. Um, we we did reach out to her. Abby actually was trying to, to tweet at her. We we sent some open letters and some op-eds into different publications, hoping that she would see them. We've tried to find ways to reach out to her because, quite honestly, we would love to welcome her to our, our tribe of quitters, too. Um, our, our heart particularly went out to her because we all as a staff were, were talking about it after, after she was let go. And we're just so sad for her because the way she found out that she was fired is so unprofessional. First of all, she had just suffered a miscarriage um, and was very public about that. And in my work as a, as a bereavement doula, you know, you, you can see things in, in the way people react to loss. Um, and that shook her, her, her baby who, who died. 
she wanted that baby. Yeah. And she was mourning the loss of that baby, but then had to reconcile it with her job and try to find language that would somehow communicate the grief that she was feeling without compromising her position on abortion. And there was a struggle there um, that was very evident in, in the things that she wrote and said after she experienced that. Right. So like that's where this mental gymnastics you talked about earlier come in. Right. Exactly. And, and, and probably a humanizing moment um, as well, which doesn't help the mental gymnastics, but you know, then to, to be told that as a physician, that she wasn't political enough. I mean, talk about Planned Parenthood revealing exactly what their priorities are. Right. Because they fired a physician whose goal was really to try to increase the whole idea of, of women's health and safety in the clinics, which by itself isn't a bad thing. I mean, right. I mean, that's what, one of the biggest criticisms of Planned Parenthood is that they claim right. they, they, they claim they do all these um, other women's services, but then they kind of really don't at most of these clinics. And so mm-hmm. it, it is very frustrating and, and sad to see someone who actually wanted to Im- increase those things so that their the things that they did matched the the phrases that they put out there and then to see them let her go right for the same reasons yeah you know it, it's like, all right well i mean the cat's out of the bag now we get it it's it's not care no matter what it's access no matter what and that's their bottom line so we will continue to pray for dr wen we we do hope she reaches out to us and we will pray for uh, the the new president, um, ironically, she's an A Johnson as well. Um, so we feel like that could be a good sign, right? We can we can hope. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love what you guys do because I think so much of um, this whole fight against abortion is a a recognition of the humanity of the unborn, and and we're trying to make sure that we are. Um, you know, humanizing this person, this human being that this industry has worked so hard in the media and everybody has worked so hard to dehumanize. And you guys, um, I think the, something that we can be guilty of in the, on the pro-life side is dehumanizing the people who are part of that industry. And I love that you guys, um, are humanizing those workers as well and, and reaching out and being caring towards them. Absolutely. And, and honestly, that's, that's kind of what, what we're all about. We're going to be pro all life. And that includes valuing the lives of those who work in the clinics too. They're not our enemies. Very cool. So, um, so how can we keep up with the work that you guys are doing? Oh, so many ways. Um, we, we are busy people, so there are lots of different ways to plug in. You can, of course, follow us on social media. That's the easiest way. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, follow, and then there were none. Follow Check My Clinic. Uh, then go to the websites. Go to abortionworker.com and kind of poke around and, and see. There's a whole bunch of different tabs. You know, what can I do? The resources. Partner with us in prayer. Join our prayer team. Um we are, of course, always grateful for donations. Um, 
our ministry does not require any of our workers, our quitters, to pay for their own healing. And we are able to do that because of the generosity of, of those who support the work that we do. So we are always grateful for those who financially support us. Um, it allows us to continue to do what we do, and that's love abortion clinic workers out of the industry. But we have a couple of side projects too. We have uh, the Pro-Life Women's Conference. We are a host of the Pro-Life Women's Conference every year. So I encourage your female listeners to check out prolifewomen.com. Our next conference is going to be in Indianapolis, June 26th to the 28th. And every year it's even more fun than the previous year. So it's a, it, it's just a great weekend. Um, so I, I encourage the, the ladies to check that out. Go to checkmyclinic.org. Um, educate yourself on your community. Do you have an abortion facility in your community? Well, what do you know about it? Um, what kinds of health code violations have they had there? Is there a sidewalk presence? Uh, do you feel called to pray outside of that facility? Do you feel called to volunteer at your local pregnancy center? Um, do you feel called to join our prayer team to, to pray and, and spiritually support our work and, and those that we serve? Uh, there are a lot of different ways that, that you can kind of plug in. Not everyone is, is called or capable of doing the same thing. So we encourage, you know, check us out, check out our different websites, our different projects and, and see where you might fit. Very cool. Now I, I do want to ask you one question here. Um, and, and it seems fairly apparent that, um, you know, you guys call yourself a ministry and you talk a lot about prayer, um, and, and, um, you guys have a Christian basis and, um, I think that's awesome. My question is if there's somebody out there who maybe works in a facility and is listening to this, do they have to subscribe to any particular faith to come be able to utilize your resources? Nope, not at all. Our our quitters come in all different shapes, sizes, faiths, and ethnicities. We um, we do not require a litmus test for faith. We do not require that you have a particular faith or any faith at all. We will love you unconditionally, regardless of what your beliefs are. Um, our ministry, as it as it stands, our organization as it stands does not have, uh, like we, we don't say we are a Christian or we are evangelical or we are a Catholic or we are a whatever. Um, mostly for that reason, because all we ask if you come to us is that you let us love you and take care of you and care for you and support you. That's awesome. Um, and let's see, you said abortionworker.com. Um, and then what's that that number if somebody wanted to call? If someone wanted to give us a call, we have a 24 hour hotline. There's always going to be someone who, who picks up the phone. Um, so you can call day or night. And that phone number is 888-570-5501. And then if you are an abortion clinic worker, hit number one. Very cool. Um, oh, real quick though, before, before I let you go, you had mentioned earlier about you guys are, are looking to move international. What's, what's the, what's the process like on that? So, um, we are working through a lot of the, the legal stuff right now, which 
where learning takes even longer when you're doing international things than when you're doing national things. <laughs> um, so we're also learning that for, for each country uh, that we would like to, or that would like to see sort of a, an affiliate, if you will, of, of And Then There Were None, uh, there are different kind of hoops to jump through. So we are working on that. Um, but if if you are listening and you are from a different country and you're interested in in finding out if And Then There Were None is coming to you or you want to help bring in, And Then There Were None to, to your area, you can email me at laura, L-A-U-R-A, at prolove, P-R-O-L-O-V-E.com. Very cool. Well, Laura, I really appreciate your time. This has been a great talk and um, I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Well, thank you so much for for listening to me ramble a little bit and, and letting me share. I, I love the work that we do. Yeah, very cool. All right, you have a good day. Thanks, you too. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, and Then There Were None is a fantastic ministry, and I really appreciate what they're doing, and you should go check them out. Follow them on all the social medias and all the places that she listed in the episode. Again, I apologize for how long this took me to do. I should have done it a long time ago. Um, my life is kind of busy, and so I don't know when the next episode will be out. It'll probably be another you know while before it happens. But anyways... Um, don't forget to share this episode out and you can follow me on Twitter at FFL underscore podcast underscore. I know it's a terrible Twitter handle. I need to find a better one, but honestly, I don't post on there that much. Um, you can also just follow my, uh, personal Twitter handle at J underscore H U M P H R three Y. So it's like J underscore Humphrey. Anyways, I'm making this overly complicated until next time. Thank you guys for listening and uh, keep on fighting.